Hello, Westside Family Church. It is great to see you right here at Lenexa Speedway. And those of you who are watching online, are you ready to dive into the Word today? Yeah, awesome. Well, I'm going to begin with the story. So there was this honest man who was being tailgated by a stressed-out woman on a busy boulevard. And out of the nowhere, all of a sudden, the light turns yellow in front of him. And he does the right thing. He slows down and he stops at the crosswalk, even though he could have uh, beaten the red light uh, by accelerating, but he didn't. Well, the tailgating woman blew on the horn, hit the roof, and started screaming in frustration that she missed her opportunity to get through the light. Out of nowhere, she hears a tap on her window, and uh, she looks up into the face of a serious police officer. He invites her to exit the car with her hands up. He handcuffs her. He searches, it takes her to the police station, searches her, fingerprints her, and places her in a cell. A few hours later, a police officer approached the cell, opened the door, and took her to the uh, booking uh, center where the arresting officer was waiting for her with her personal effects. And he said to her, ma'am, I am sorry for the mistake, but when I pulled up behind your car, you were blowing your horn, flipping off the guy in front of you, and cussing a blue streak at him, and then I noticed on the car uh, the uh, Choose Life license plate holder, the uh, What Would Jesus Do bumper sticker, the uh, Follow Me to Sunday School bumper sticker, and the chrome-plated Christian fish on the trunk. Naturally, I thought you had stolen the car. <laughs> you see, there's something that doesn't match up between impatience and being a follower of Jesus. They just don't go together. So if you find yourself in that situation, you have one of two choices. Choice number one, remove all the Jesus stuff from your car. All right? That's one, one choice. Or number two, choose to grow up and become a patient person. I would like to suggest today in our time together that you choose option number two. And that's what we want to talk today about as we continue in our series, How to Really Love Someone. We want to talk about this idea of patience. Because many of us know, either by looking at somebody in our life, or we're experiencing or have experienced it in our own life, that impatience, if left unattended to, will ruin your relationships. It will cost you often your fortune, your job, and your legacy. But God has a different vision for you and for us if you want it. Do you want it? Right? So I want to begin by giving or laying down a biblical definition of patience, the virtue of patience, particularly from the New Testament. I'm going to put up the definition and then unpack it for you. I'm going to invite you to say it out loud with me, okay? We're going to put it on the screen. Patience. Ready? Say it out loud with me. I take a long time to overheat and endure patiently under the unavoidable pressures of life. One more time, soaking in. I take a long time to overheat 
and endure patiently under the unavoidable pressures of life. Let me stop for a moment and talk about unavoidable pressures. In fact, there are two types of pressures. There is avoidable pressures and unavoidable pressures. Here we're talking about pressures that you can't avoid. There are pressures that you can avoid that you should not be in and you need to get out of them. I used to keep a a sign, uh, a a caption in my uh, desk, uh, in my office, of a man slouched over with his hands praying, and he says, Lord, help me to meet this self-imposed and totally unnecessary challenge. Yeah. Some of you have a self-imposed and totally unnecessary challenge. You You need to lose it. You need to say no. You need to get rid of it. But there are circumstances that are unavoidable. This is where patience comes in. Now, there are two words that make up this definition that are used in the Greek language in the New Testament. The first one is macrothemio. Say that, macrothemio. It's a compound word. The word macro means long, and themio is where we get uh, our word thermometer. And the notion or the idea is that a patient person, if we were to take their temperature in a heated situation, something that is testing their patience, that uh, it doesn't uh, heat up so quickly. An inpatient person, they're in a situation that's pushing their buttons and boom, it's jumping up to 105 degrees in a hurry. A patient person mm, doesn't get heated up all that quick. That's the concept of overheating. Now, the second word is hupomone. Say hupomone. Hupomone. Very impressive things to share at the water cooler tomorrow. Hupomone is also a compound word. Hupo means under, and mone means to remain. You put them together, it means to remain under. What? To remain under the pressure of a relationship, to remain under the weight or the pressure of a circumstance because it's the right thing to do. So I have a heavy backpack here filled with books and rocks. The notion of the idea that I have an unavoidable relationship, unavoidable circumstance that is weighing me down, I must find a way to bear up under the weight of it with patience, okay? So basically the message is pretty simple. It comes down to thermometers and backpack, okay? If you can get that, you're gonna be all right. Now, I want to show how this plays itself out in a relationship that David of the Old Testament has with the guy named Saul. We're in this series, and you can see that we're going to be covering uh, five weeks of looking at David's relationships and looking at five of the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. Today, the subject, the virtue is patience, and the character is a relationship he had with a guy named Saul or King Saul. Now, before we dive in, not assuming you know all of the stories of the Old Testament, let me give you a little setting of the story. Young David, at the age of 16, has been called upon by God, anointed by God, to be the next king of Israel, king number two. Why? Because Psalm chapter 78, verses 70 through 72 tells us, which is what God is doing in our lives right now, that he's looking down on the life of David. And David, at the age of 16, is shepherding his dad's small flock of smelly sheep out in the middle of nowhere. No one can see him, but God notices that David is shepherding this flock of sheep while no one is looking out of the integrity of his heart. And God says, that's the kind of king 
that Israel needs. Someone, even when no one is looking, does the right thing for the sheep. And so he says, David, I want you to be the next king of Israel. I want you to shepherd even a bigger flock, in this case, the nation of Israel. Only problem is you're not ready for the size of this assignment. You're going to need to have a lot more virtue, a lot more patience to deal with the large, smelly sheep you're getting ready to shepherd. So therefore, I need to spend some time uh, teaching you about thermometers and backpacks, about patience. And so how does he do it? The way he does it is that he assigns King Saul, the, the current king, um, the first king, to be the person who teaches David about patience. You see, King Saul has been rejected as king because of his repeated disobedience to the Lord. He has been rejected. One of his troubles was he was impatient with the assignments that the Lord has given him, so he has been rejected. But, interesting, God leaves King Saul in place for the next 14 years for the express purpose of testing David's patience so that he can grow up and get to the place where he is ready to be the next king of Israel. So for 14 years, David is going to, uh, Saul is going to attack David. He is going to scheme against him. We're going to find times when he's throwing spears at him. He's going to use his daughters against him. Basically, he's going to track him down, chase him down for 14 years as a fugitive. Now, I just want to bring out two particular uh, occasions where Saul is chasing him down, okay? Now, uh, we discover that so, uh, David is on the run, and even while he is on the run, the favor of God is with him, and uh, he rallies a group of 400 called mighty men. David is uh, hanging out in caves all over the place. He is a natural leader. Really, he's a supernatural leader because the Lord is with him. And wherever he goes, everything he does grows and succeeds. He's got 400 men. They're mostly hanging out in caves. He is the leader of the cave people, right? And in 1 Samuel chapter 24, you can open your Bibles there or go to the Westside app if you've never done it. It has all the scriptures as well as some principles we want to pass on to you today. In 1 Samuel chapter 24, uh, David is at the, in the desert of uh, En Gedi. He's in the desert of En Gedi. And, uh, uh, you know, Kitchens, you're here again. We went to Israel. Oh, by the way, we were there just a couple of weeks ago. And he's hiding out in the cave of En Gedi. Here's a picture that we took while we were there. That's where David is actually at. He's hiding out in a cave. And uh, what ends up happening? Well, the temperatures are rising. Saul is pursuing David, and it has created this enormous amount of pressure on David. It's, 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 it's overwhelming. It's exhausting. And what we find in the story is that Saul is pursuing him. He comes to En Gedi, and Saul enters into the cave to relieve himself. You know what that means? We don't, uh, you know, there's no you know, potty mouth talk here in church. We're just going to like leave it at that. He's like, he's relieving himself. And, um, and, and what ends up happening is um, uh, 
is that Saul doesn't know that the 400 men and David, who he's pursuing, are in the cave. It's like a scene out of a horror movie where you enter into a black cave and there are 800 eyeballs looking at you, like this picture right here. I found this on there. Yeah, that's what it's like, okay? I mean, they're all staring at him as he is, like, doing his thing, right? And here's what 1 Samuel chapter 24, beginning in verse 4, says. The men said, the mighty men, This is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off the corner of Saul's robe. Afterward, David was conscious stricken for having cut off the corner of his robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lift my hand against him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. With these words, David rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul after, and Saul left the cave and went his way. His men said to him, David, it's time for you to lose the weight of this backpack. The Lord has arranged a situation for you where you can take the life of Saul. It's going to be easy. Oh, the Lord is so good to you. And David said, no, it's not right, man. I mean, when the time is right for me to be king, I will be king. But it is not right, according to the scripture, for me to take matters into my own hands. Therefore, I'm going to keep the backpack on, even though it's weighty, even though I'm tired, even though I'm exhausted, because it's the right thing to do. He even felt guilty for cutting off a piece of his robe, which I'm assuming that Saul took off before he went to the restroom. Right? So... His men are saying, it's, it's, it, it's, it's finally an opportunity to relieve yourself as... Well, never mind. I'm not going to say it. Okay. we got to stop there. Okay. So he confronts his men and said, we're not going to do this. And so what ends up happening is uh, Saul goes back out and David, standing on a hill, holds the corner of his robe up and says, Saul, dude, I could have taken your life in the cave but I didn't. I haven't done anything wrong. I was serving you. Why are you chasing me down? See, he doesn't understand yet what God has in mind. Why are you chasing me down? Stop. And guess what? Saul repents. He says, you are right. I don't know why I'm doing this. I lost my mind. I won't do it again. David goes, oh my gosh, this is feeling good. It's all great. Chapter 26. They're now in a place called the Hill of Hakalah. And what we discover there is that Saul has brought 3,000 men to track down and to kill David. Oh, David goes, oh my gosh, what in the world? He promised he wouldn't do this. Why is Saul changing his mind? Ah, listen to this if you've never heard it. It says in the text, it says in the story that after Saul had repented, that the Lord entered into him and hardened his heart. Yeah, it was the Lord who was keeping Saul in this place where he was tracking David down. Why? You see, all of us are characters in the unfolding of God's upper story. I don't know if you know this or not. Even if you're not a believer in Jesus, God is using you to tell his story. The only choice you have is what kind of character you're going to play in the story. You're either going to be a protagonist for God, uh, for God as, a, as a protagonist, 
or you're going to be an antagonist. And God is going to use both. Saul had already determined in his heart he was an antagonist for God. He just didn't have the stomach or the wherewithal to continue on. And God said, okay, you're going to be an antagonist. I'm going to use you as an antagonist against my servant David to grow him up to be the kind of king that Israel needs. But he's not ready yet, so I'm going to use you to test him and to aggravate him. And so therefore, it's not time for you to stop chasing him down. By the way, this is not the only time in Scripture where it says that God hardened someone's heart. You may recall back in the story with Moses, right? Where Moses has been called by God to go and release the children of Israel from slavery in Egypt. And he goes to Pharaoh with his staff. And Pharaoh says, there's no way I'm going to let these people go. And so Moses begins to unleash ten plagues in Egypt. Remember the ten plagues? And for the first four plagues... Uh, Pharaoh, uh, who is, thinks he's a god, he's against God, but God is using him, he's able to replicate the miracles and the mighty acts that Moses is, uh, is performing. But when he gets to the end of the fourth plague, Pharaoh can't handle it anymore. The power of God, the display of God is overwhelming him. He's wearing down, and he says, Okay, Moses... You can leave with the people of Israel. I can't handle this display of God's power. You can leave, it says. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. Pharaoh had already determined the character he was going to play in the story. He just didn't have the stomach to come up against the power of God. And God continued to harden his heart because ultimately God wanted to get to the 10th plague, which was the plague of the Passover lamb. God said, I need the story of the Passover lamb to come about because it's going to beautifully display who Jesus is as the Passover lamb when you crucify him on the week of Passover. And so it goes all the way up to the 10th plague. And Pharaoh finally says at the end of the 10th plague, when God is done with him, okay, you guys can leave. And sure enough, they were able to leave. So God is hardening Pharaoh's heart and he is still doing the same thing today. If you choose to be a an antagonist in the story of God, he might just be hardening your heart for some greater purpose in his story. So here we find uh, they're at the hill of Hakalah. 3,000 men are tracking down one guy. It's a bit of an overkill. It's a bit of an obsession. And it says um, that God causes at night for all 3,000 men to fall into a deep sleep. And here's what the story says. So David and one of his men actually walk into the camp and are standing at the head of King Saul while he's snoring his head off. And one of his men says, his name is Abishai. Abishai said to David, today God has delivered your enemy into your hands. Now let me pin him to the ground with one thrust of the spear. I won't strike him twice. But David said to Abishai, don't destroy him. Who can lay a hand on the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? As surely as the Lord lives, he said, the Lord himself will strike him. Either his time will come to it, it will come and he will die, or he will go into battle and perish. But the Lord forbid that I should lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. Now get the spear and the water jug that are near his head and let's go. So what is Abishai saying? Hey, David, God has arranged this. It's time for you to relieve yourself of this pressure, this weight 
that is, that is creating so much turmoil for you. And David once again says, oh, I would love to, but I cannot do the wrong thing to relieve this pressure. This is an unavoidable pressure. It's going to be God who has to relieve this pressure. Until then, I must continue to bear up under, hupomone, bear up under the weight of this circumstance because it is the right thing to do. But let's grab his spear and his jug so I can have another conversation with him that, in fact, Saul, I'm standing in front of you. I could have taken you out. I got your spear. I got your jug. Would you stop pursuing me? Saul says, yeah, sure I will. But what ends up happening? The Lord hardened his heart. Hardened his heart. David said, no, it's the wrong thing to do. This is God's job in God's time. And what ends up happening? In God's time, Saul does die. In this case, he dies uh, in battle with his three sons. And he's hung. John, remember where he was hung? In Bethshane, uh-huh. headless with his three sons, Jonathan and his two brothers. We were just there a couple weeks ago. And um, the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 31, comes to an end. And Saul has been eliminated at the timing of God. 2 Samuel, chapter 1, David, as promised, now 30 years old, 14 years of pressure. It's time, God's timing, his timing to remove the weight. And he becomes the next king of Israel a man after God's own heart who shepherded the small flock of smelly sheep in the fields of Israel when no one was looking out of the integrity of his heart and now he is equipped to shepherd God's people with that same integrity of heart. How did he get there? Because God equipped him and prepared him using thermometers and backpacks. Okay, now what does this have to do with you and I? What does this have to do with you and I? A group of people, I know you well enough, you pace in front of a microwave for crying out loud. You know, you need more patience. Can I get an amen? Will you admit that? You need more patience, right? Well, here's three things that we learned from this story. If you're taking notes, write this down. Number one, patience. I take a long time to get hot. There he goes. I take a long time to overheat and endure. Oh, this is the, the overall definition. I want you to say that again with me. Ready? Here we go. Ready? I take a long time to overheat and endure patiently the unavoidable pressures of life. Okay, with that said, here's principle. Uh, oh, no, I want to ask you this question. I'm getting ahead of myself. I want to ask you, stop and ask, how are you with the virtue of patience? If you had to rank yourself on a scale of one to ten, how are you doing? So how long does it take you to overheat? If I were to take and put this thermometer in your mouth and watch you throughout the day, what would your temperature read based upon the tempting situations that you encountered? How long would it take you to heat up? Okay? Uh, how are you doing at handling the unavoidable pressures that you're currently experiencing in life? Are you handling it okay or have you lost your cool? The second question I want to ask you is this Who is the Saul in your life right now? Mm hmm. Who is the Saul in your life? You might want to write that down, unless it's the person sitting next to you, okay? And I say that because oftentimes it is the person sitting next to you that is your Saul. Uh, with Roseanne, 
We've been married for 40 years. I know how to push her buttons, man. I can get that temperature up to 106 in a heartbeat if I want to. And oftentimes, I find it completely enjoyable. <laughs> and you do too. It's a laughter of identification. Oftentimes, the Saul is sitting right next to us in our life. Sometimes it's a boss. Sometimes it's someone else. And sometimes it's actually not a person. It is a circumstance that you find yourself in that you can't or shouldn't exit from. <laughs> There's a story of a little girl who was watching her mother do the dishes one night in the kitchen, and she notices that her mom has a few strands of white hair uh, popping out in the midst of her brunette hair, and the little daughter asks, Mommy, uh, why do you have these uh, white hairs? And she says, well, um, uh, every time that you do something wrong, or make me cry, or make me unhappy, I get another white hair. And the little girl thought about it for a moment, and she said, Mommy, why does Grandma, why are all of her hairs gray? <laughs> yeah, takes one to know one, right? Okay, now, now I'm ready for the three principles, okay? Write these down. Principle number one, recognize that the Lord may be using another purpose, person or circumstance to develop you as a person or take you to another level as a leader. And knowing this will really help you with patience. I don't know about you, but some of the gr greatest growth experiences, who I am today positively, have come at the hands of a truly aggravating person in my life. A truly, sometimes even evil person in my life. Sometimes a relative that I didn't choose and can't get rid of, or a coworker, or a neighbor. And the reality is, if we're being honest, I recognize that I have been a Saul in numerous people's life. I'm sure of it, you know? And all I have to say to you, if you're one of them, I was put there by God to help you become a better person. <laughs> you're welcome. So I want to ask you, um, do you know that sometimes God allows, we saw it, or even orchestrates for this person or circumstance to come into your life because you are not ready for the challenge ahead of you that you cannot see, but God knows. And he wants to strengthen you and equip you with character, with virtue, with patience, so that you can handle successfully the assignment that you're about ready to run into. And this is what's happening with David and Saul. I want you to look at James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. I'm going to read out of the message translation. James writes, Consider it a sheer gift, friends, when tests and challenges come to you from all sides. You know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open and shows its true colors. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so you become mature and well-developed, not deficient in any way. You know, God has a plan for your life. You've heard that. And he knows what's coming next. And sometimes, oftentimes, he orchestrates or allows these frustrating situations that causes your temperature to rise or weight on your back to equip you and to strengthen you for the assignment ahead. Principle number two, God does not want us to do wrong to relieve our pressure or crisis. God does not want us to do wrong to relieve our pressure or crisis. He wants us to keep the backpack on to do its good work. 
This is the kind of conviction you need to stay with to stay strong. David would not kill Saul even though he was given two incredible opportunities. And you need to be careful who you surround yourself with because you will have people saying to you even things like, God is delivering this person into your hand. God is relieving this pressure. But never listen to your friends, even though they say they're Christians, if the advice they're giving is against the word of God. Stay with the word of God, regardless of the nice things your friends are telling you to relieve your pressure. Stay with it. Whether it's a marriage, the illness of a family member, someone who's walked out on you, a a, a job struggle, or difficulties of getting through school. When we hang in there patiently, good things can result and we can grow in the process. Okay, principle number three. We can take a long time to overheat when we trust God to work out his plan in his time. That's what macrothomio means. David trusted that God would handle the situation in his timetable, and you must do the same thing. Did you know that during this 14 years that Saul is tracking down uh, David, that David penned five psalms to express to God the, the, the difficulty of the circumstances. I'll give them to you. You can read them later. Psalm 34, 52, 54, 57, and Psalm 59. In these five journal entries, Saul is chasing him down, and David honestly talks to God, reminding himself through prayer that God has a good plan for his life, and that he will trust him as God eventually works it out. And it may be a very good idea for you in this difficult season to journal out your frustration uh, to God then uh, demonstrated on the people in your life. The notion or idea is that, that this year you've got this unavoidable pressure, this uh, aggravating person that just keeps pushing your buttons and So we put a spiritual thermometer in your mouth and we see how long it takes you to heat up. But because God's not wanting to keep you there, six months from now, that situation is still in your life and we put the spiritual thermometer in your mouth and if it takes longer for it to heat up, you're growing. And that's what we are looking for. And this is what God does for David. 1 Samuel chapter 31, according to God's timetable, Saul dies in battle. 2 Samuel chapter 1, David, at the age of 30, at the timing of God, is now ready to be the king of Israel. The same applies for you and for me. Let me put the definition up one more time. By now, you probably have it memorized. This is a good one to memorize. Let's put it up again. Ready? Say it out loud. I take a long time to overheat and endure patiently under the unavoidable pressures of life. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet here at Lenexa and at Speedway, those of you who are watching online. And uh, as our team comes out to lead us in a time of worship, I would like for you to close your eyes and and, uh, begin to meet with God in this time of worship in response to Him. So I'm going to ask you right now uh, to identify who or what is the Saul in your life right now. And I want you to bring it to mind. It might cause you a little anxiety, but just go ahead and bring them to your mind right now. Person, circumstance. And during this time of worship, I want you to recognize that God may have this person or circumstance in your life for a reason. 
a good reason to build you up, to grow you up for the assignment that is yet ahead of you. You need to be stronger. You need to be more patient to handle what God has in store for you. Number two, as you worship, lean into God and ask him for wisdom and strength to sustain you as you wait. It's not time for you to be relieved of the pressure of this relationship or of this circumstance. It's right for you to remain under it, but you need wisdom. You need his strength. Ask him. Say, God, I'm not going to exit this marriage. It's not the right thing to do, but man, I need your strength. God, I need to stay in this job or on this project. It needs to be seen to the end, but it's driving me crazy. I don't know if I can handle it. Give me the wisdom and give me the strength. It's not right for me to leave right now. I will do it when you say so, but in the meantime, give me strength. Number three, through the power of God's spirit within you, those of you who believe in Jesus, ask God to extend the time it takes you to overheat in your relationships. That you don't want to be that person who is known as an impatient person, but you want to display the fruit of the Spirit in your relationships and circumstances in life. Maybe you're not perfect, but maybe tomorrow it takes you a little bit of time before you get impatient. And finally, if you are a Saul in someone else's life, Stop it. Unless God has hardened your heart. Make it right. Apologize. You don't want to be a Saul in another person's life. It's tearing them up. And today, just say, Lord, help me to see it. Help me to recognize it. And when I walk out of this place today, when we walk out of this experience today, I refuse to be a Saul in that person's life anymore. Father, now we ask that you would take our contemplation of you as we worship and that your spirit would speak to us and transform us into the image of your son, Jesus Christ, and all of God's people said, amen. Amen.